Today we'll be reading from 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he the one who does not love his brother. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Last Monday was Reformation Day, and it was also Halloween. Halloween, like most years, people dress up in different costumes, um, kind of our own little masquerade time. And if you were driving through town during last Monday, you saw a lot of different people dressed up as different things. I think the outfits I always think are interesting are the ones of a vocation. I, mean, I think it's interesting that, like, you know, we still, we still have an understanding of the heroes in our society to be cops, to be doctors and nurses and firefighters. Um, and that might be fun for a day, but nobody on Tuesday was dressed up as that, probably, I'm assuming. Because while it might be fun on Monday to dress up as a cop, on Tuesday, if there's a robbery, you're not going in there to do a cop's work. Or if you dress up as a doctor and, uh, and someone's like, there's an emergency, get over here real quick. And Brent's like yelling at you, put in the line, do the chest compressions. You're like, I don't know what I'm doing. Why do you got the stethoscope then? Dressing up in costumes um, might seem like fun, but we know that, that uh, internally that people can pretend to be something that they're not. They can masquerade as something that they're truly not. They can act that way for a while, but in the end, they are revealed for who they are. Eventually, the masquerade is ended and the mask comes off. In this portion of 1 John, that's what it's doing. It's taking off the mask. Who is a child of God and who is a child of the devil? I have this saying. It's not really mine, but it's one that I've adapted from, well, the teachings of Jesus Christ and what we see right here. It's this. We do what we believe. We do what we believe. I'll do this exercise where I have somebody write down 24 hours or however many hours are in a week. And then I tell you, subtract eight hours every night Let's just assume you get eight hours of sleep. Now write down how much time you spend in activities until you get to the number of the hours in a week or in a day. And I say, now put your top three down. And then I say, those are your top three greatest values. I don't care what you say, because that's what you spend time doing. You do what you believe. 
we will say, no, I value X, but I spend all my time doing Y. This isn't really that, though, is it? What, what this is taken from, that, that saying is taken really from 1 John here, is that people do what they believe. They do, they act the way that they are. They can masquerade for a while, but eventually the mask comes off. We do what we want to do, unless we are believing enough lies to cloud our minds and our hearts from doing the things that we know would bring us life and joy and happiness. We see this with people who live a dual life. That outwardly they present a, a certain veneer, a certain glamour, but inwardly they're living a totally different life. For instance, Tiger Woods. He had this image of this wholesome family man. Like you couldn't get, you couldn't get more, you know, more mundane or more you know, wholesome than Tiger Woods. And then everybody found out that he was living this dual life. Or so much more tragically than that was Ravi Zacharias who was an apologist, who told people about Jesus, who, little did many people know, was living a life of utter debauchery. Eventually, the mask comes off. God knows the entire time. Living a lie can only be done for so long and never perfectly or with joy. Love and righteousness are the outpouring of the child of God, while hate and licentiousness are the outpouring of the child of Satan. Last week was nice. One through three was nice. I said, one through three was giving us encouragement because the hammer is about to come down. You know, verse one of chapter three, behold what kind of love the Father has lavished on us. So I focused last week as we went through verses one through three on the lavish love of God. And what does that produce in us? It makes us a child of God. This week, however, John will say there's a difference between a child of, the, of God and a child of Satan, a child of the world. It might seem very jarring to you that the author here calls those who live an immoral life children of the devil. Didn't John just write that we're supposed to love one another? Often people accuse others of not loving the way Christ loved. But here's the thing. John learned that from Jesus Christ himself. John chapter 8, verses 44. So this is the gospel of John. What he saw, what he heard. And this is what he heard Jesus Christ saying to the group of Pharisees. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not, and does not speak the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Then there's the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter, chapter 13, verse 10. In Acts chapter 13, verse 10, Paul is sharing the gospel with this man. And this other guy who fancies himself a magician, he was a Jewish man, and he was trying to keep this other guy from following Jesus Christ. So, so Paul says to him, you son of the devil. I see Andrew right here. He put his arm up. He likes that. Sorry, Biddle family. He probably says that all the time at home. I told him that's not an insult you can say to people. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? You know something? There's a lot of people who want to try to make the easy, not, sorry, the simple truth of the gospel, faith in Jesus Christ. They try to make it complicated. They try to make the straight path of the Lord something crooked. That you don't truly need to believe in Jesus Christ to be saved, even though 
Even though Peter says, right, there's no name given under heaven by which one must be saved other than Jesus Christ, making those straight paths crooked. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 through 15, Paul will say that there are false teachers and they are like Satan and that, they masquer- that he masquerades as an angel of light. So do his prophets, apostles, and teachers. You know what the scripture does, what the Holy Spirit does? It takes off the mask to see clearly what is going on. It might seem like there's a contradiction for John, who had just wrote about the command to love your brother, now calls others the child of the devil. The reason why that is, is because we want to define what love is. That's a problem. There's a lot of different definitions of love. What does love mean? Well, you know something? I can't tell people that their sin is sending them to hell. They might get sad. Well, think about Jesus Christ. There's this rich young ruler who comes to him. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know what most people would say today, like most pastors? They're like, okay, pray this prayer after me. And just simply, you know, trust or whatever these things. You know what Jesus says to him? Well, what does the law say? He goes through the law with him. The man lies to him. And he says, take everything you have, sell it, and give the money to the poor. You know what it says right before that, though? Before Jesus tells him, a truth that will devastate him. It says, looking at him, he loved him. So people are like, it's not loving to tell people that a lifestyle of homosexuality will lead you to hell. It's not loving to tell the person who says that they're a cat, they're not a cat. That'll really offend them. That'll really hurt them. Or how about this? It's not right to tell people who are living together and having sex outside of marriage, that that is not going to lead to happiness and eternal life. It might really devastate them. They'll never want to come to your church again. Looking at him, he loved him. That's what love means, is that I I will endure your wrath because I love you so much I don't want to endure God's wrath without the mediator who is Jesus Christ. Instead of telling God, this is what love is, therefore when I say you are love, this is what I mean, we need to rather be like foreigner who had the song, I want to know what love is. And to know that, we have to go to the scripture. David Gusick, in his commentary on these verses, said, Some might think John is far too harsh in saying some are children of the devil. Supposedly, perhaps, that John did not love people as Jesus did. But Jesus called people children of the devil also. In John 8, 41 through 45, in this passage, Jesus' points, point was important, establishing the principle that our spiritual parentage determines our nature and our destiny. If we are born again, we have God as our Father. It will show in our nature and in our destiny. But whether our Father is Satan or Adam, it will also show in our nature and destiny, just as it is shown in these adversaries of Jesus. So we have the, we have the distinction of what your nature is. And we'll talk about this as we go through this verse of what it means that the child of God does not sin. It's about a lifestyle of sin, continuing to sin instead of being at war with our sin. We know that, that we are always with sin in that we do commit sins. But when we sin as a believer, we have an advocate in heaven and that he is faithful and just to forgive us if we speak the same as to confess. When it comes to, when it comes to the other part in here is that there is true believers in Jesus Christ can be deceived. True children of God can be deceived, and they can even be deceived into doing the devil's work for him. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet has a vision of God, 
And at the end of his vision, God says, whom will go for us and whom shall we send? To which the prophet says, here am I, Lord, send me. The child of God should want to be used by God. The child of Satan is used to do the devil's work. It's a question of nature. Now the child of God can be now the child of God can be deceived into doing the devil's work, much like Peter when he told Jesus, "This shall never happen to you." But it's against their nature, and it does not lead to happiness or peace. Last week, I was preaching. When I was preaching, I told you about what the love of the Father does for us. It makes us into His children. This week, as we follow along in First John, we see that though there are those who are children of the devil, and they are one lawless, two they practice sinning. And three, they do not love. Let's start off, verses one through four. Sin. John starts off, verse, verse four here, everyone who makes a practice of sinning. As the question, if you ask this question, what is sin to a hundred people, you will probably get a hundred different answers. Some will say the only sin is not being true to yourself, of your identity. We're very focused on identity. Your first identity is a child of God. It should be a child of God before all other things. In the end, that is all we will be as children of God. I would, um, if you say, if some will say that you're only, that the only sin is not being true to yourself, I'd say tell that to the Ted Bundys of the world who are living their truth. Some will say that it's only a sin if you really meant harm by it. And I would say that to the mass graves of the people who are harmed by people who thought, well, I had the right intention. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, who is still the leading cause, the, still the leaders in abortion around the nation, said that she believed the only sin she was aware of was having a child you could not take care of. But by and large, everyone tries to minimize sin. We try to minimize sin. We try to make it shades of gray. Well, there's different kinds of lying. There's white lies. There's red lies. There's turquoise lies. I don't know what a turquoise lie is. I just made that up. We have different, we try to minimize sin. For instance, the word for sin means to miss the mark. And unfortunately, many pastors have used this to minimize sin. That missing the mark is only like if you're trying a three free throw and you miss it. Well, try again. It's not a big deal. Or if you're shooting at a target, you miss the target. Try to hit the target. It does mean to miss the mark. But it's the context around it that missing the mark has dire consequences. In fact, in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned, all have missed the mark, and fallen short of the glory of God. So our sin has great effect. It has great consequences to it. To understanding sinning and missing the mark, what we should really look at is the legend of William Tell. The legend of William Tell goes that supposedly... In the uh, 14th century, William Tell was arrested for not bowing down to a, let me read this right here, to the newly appointed Austrian king's hat that was put on a pole. He was then commanded to shoot the apple off the head of his son using a bolt from his crossbow. What happens if you miss the mark there? You don't get to try again, right? Below the apple is your, your son, whom you loved. Supposedly on November 18th, 1307, so November 18th is William Tell Day, he did not miss the mark. He hit the apple, and, uh, and that is how that goes. That, is what, that, is, that gives us a glimpse of the depth of what it means, sin, and what it cost Christ to forgive our sins. 
There doesn't need to be any debate, however, about what sin truly is. John tells us it's lawlessness. We might ask, what about those who never heard of the law of God, who never had an interaction with Christians or even with the Jewish people throughout time? What about them? Does God just simply, do they not have a law and they're innocent before God? Well, Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 says this. Indeed, when Gentiles, that's non-Jews, who do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not know the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences are also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. You know what that means? It means for the heathen who's never heard about God, he still has a law on his heart. So we sometimes think, well, what about the good person in Timbuktu who never heard about Jesus Christ? No such person, for God alone is good. And they are not. They have offended their own conscience, and their conscience on the day of judgment will testify against them that they knew the right, and they did not do the right. They knew what was wrong, and they did what was wrong. Romans 3.23 is still true, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And sometimes we ask, God, what will you do with the heathen who've never heard, who's never heard of you? We should really be asking ourselves, what will you do with this heathen who has? The word lawless here. The word lawless means, uh, is, is literally pronounced anomia. John writes in verse 4 that sin is lawlessness. The word anomia is easy to understand, believe it or not. I know it sounds weird and different. A means against or without. Nomia, which is law. Those without law. Those who live like God never gave a law. Sin is living as though God never gave a law. It's lawlessness to be without law. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, is this striking verse about the day of judgment and who God accepts and who he rejects. And Jesus says, on the day of judgment, there will be those who come to him and say, Lord, Lord. Can I tell you, there's no, there's no technicalities in the scripture. We know that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It just doesn't simply mean, I say to Jesus, I call him Lord, Lord. It means that he truly is Lord in my life. That the same is represented by the doing and by the nature. So Jesus says, not everybody on that day who says to me, Lord, Lord, will be saved. And they'll say to him, did we not do, and they have their list of things they did in his name, incredible miracles. And God doesn't say, no, you didn't do them. He says, away from me, you workers of lawlessness. That whole phrase right there is one word, anomia. Those who lived like I never gave a law. It's really sad, like Robbie Zacharias, for instance, a guy who I do believe God used. God used him in my life. And that was real, because the Holy Spirit works in the things that we do apart from us, but he judges us the way that we are at. And it really, it really breaks my heart to think that Robbie met the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And, and he says, Lord, Lord, did I not defend you? Did I not do these things? Did I not bring people to you and for God to say, away from me? And I'm not saying that for a certainty. I don't know. But it is a possibility. Away from me, you who live like I never gave a law. That's what lawlessness is. You live as though God never gave a law. That word Jesus uses to translate is lawlessness and anomia. A word more direct understanding, a more direct understanding of this is those who live as though God never gave a law. 
A person can put a mask on as a child of God, but God sees under the mask, and he knows what's underneath it, that they are not children, true children of God. The people that John is writing against in this, we know them today, we call them in church history, antinomianism, which means against the law. It was a Gnostic heresy. They believed that the body was nothing, that the physical body was nothing. So sin all you want because your spirit's saved. Like, do whatever you want. Go to the brothels, all that stuff. You're saved in your spirit, so you're fine. And they would say that they had sinless perfection because they never did anything on purposely sinful, or even if they did it, it's not a sin to them. We know them today as the antinomianism, antinomianists because of that, because they lived as though that there was not a law. Why did Christ come? This answers a few, there's an answer of this a few times in the scriptures. Here we have, we, here we have the reason, it's to take away sin. Verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Verse 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and that in him there is no sin. We've established this before, earlier on, that a Christian still does commit sins, but they don't make a practice of sin. They do not, they're not in love with sin. They are not allies with sin. They are enemies of the sin in their life. And that is because of the new nature that God has given them. And one of the things that Jesus came to do was to take away sin. Not only to forgive sin, but to take it away. This was the reason the angel gave Mary in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. There are three ways Jesus takes our sin away. One, Jesus takes our sin in the sense of taking the penalty for our sin. This is immediately accomplished. If you are in Christ, you have no fear of judgment, for he, the judge has already declared you innocent on, do, on behalf of Jesus Christ. Jesus takes away our sin in the sense of taking the power of sin away. This is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You have power to overcome sin. You may have sin in your life that you struggled with, but now you have freedom from, that's not because you're better than other people. It's not because you're stronger than other people, who have a more forceful personality than other people. It's because of the Holy Spirit gives you power over sin in your life. Three, Jesus will one day take away the presence of sin. This is the work that will be accomplished on the other side of the veil of tears. When you spend eternity with Christ and are glorified with Jesus, or when Jesus comes to get you in the rapture. Verse 6 has been used many times to suggest that the Christian lives a perfect life. Verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him nor knows him. This has been used once again for people to say, yep, I, I, I have not sinned. There's a story of C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, um, and it may be, Maybe true, may not be true. It's always hard to tell with these stories. And this guy comes up to uh, Pastor Spurgeon after he's done preaching. He says, Pastor, I have not sinned in eight months. I am I'm incapable of sinning. So the story goes that Spurgeon then took, uh, took the glass of water he had and shoved it into his face. And the man got red, started saying all kinds of awful things. And Spurgeon started laughing. He's like, eight months of sinless perfection down the drain, I guess. It's not about sinless perfection. It's a, 
about a new nature which wars against the sin. You do not make a practice of sinning. You do not, you do not take sin and you say it's something glorious in your life. Number two, the child of the devil practices sin. This is going over verses 7 through 9. Let no one deceive you. That's what 7 starts off with. Little children. John's favorite word for those in Christ. Little children. Let. Let. Do we ever think about that when it comes to deception? I mean, there is a sense that you are pursued by those who want to deceive you and they want to lull you into a false sense of security and they've deceived you. But John says, let no one deceive you. It's on you. This is why it's important to be in the Word, to know what the Word says, to be able to recall, to judge everything you hear by the Word of God so you don't let anyone deceive you. So far, John has been taking to task wolves in sheep's clothing who deceive the people of God, resulting in their misery. Verse 7 is a slap upside her head saying, let, meaning that if you are deceived, it is your fault. You let someone deceive you. This happens easily because a false teacher will appeal to your flesh or your pride, and most of the time, both. So here's a good rule of thumb. When you're hearing some teaching or philosophy, ask yourself this. Does this sound good to my flesh? Does it sound good to my sinful nature? Is a person trying to make something that God said obviously is forbidden or evil into something good and wonderful? That's a good sign the person is trying to deceive you. A child of God, unfortunately, can be fooled. Some will say, well, Pastor Jason, you don't need to be preaching on this today. You just need to tell the people to pray more and to be led by the Spirit. That if you do that, you can't be fooled. Well, if that was the case, we didn't really need the rest of the New Testament. We just needed a phrase after the Gospels that say, pray really hard and be led by the Spirit. And that's how we got, we're done. But you know what we see in every one of these letters? People who have just messed up terribly who are in the body of Christ. People who are deceived, who are confused. Some people who are in Christ literally just doing the devil's work in their congregation. And by the Holy Spirit, God writes these things. Yes, we can be fooled. We can be deceived. That is why we have to take everything, everything to the throne of grace. Because we can be deceived. If the devil can't keep you from God, if he can't keep you from eternal life, you know what he wants to do in your life? He wants to make it as miserable and close to hell as he possibly can because he can't get you anymore. You know the chief way he does this in your life, Christian? Is getting you to believe that a sin is right, permissible, or good. Isn't that weird? You'd be thinking, okay, if that's the case, I mean, was that really all that much of a harm? It is to you if you're a believer because you can't live that way anymore. You've been changed. You've been remade. There's a way I used to live before I knew Jesus Christ. It's one of the ways that I knew that when the Lord saved me, that I'd really, something really had changed. Something inside of me had really shifted. Because before I knew Jesus, it's just what I could get away with. Like me and my friends, I mean, one of the things, and I said this, and I hope I'm not encouraging any of you, um, we just go steal things. And it was, we, we liked it. It made us all excited and everything. After I was saved, those same friends would come around and be like, you know, I can't do those things anymore. I just can't do it. Because taking that, I mean, I don't, I don't, like the store, maybe they have insurance. I mean, I don't know. I don't, that's not the thing. It's that it's like I'm stealing from Jesus Christ himself, who's given me so much. 
And that was just one of like so many things. I, I realized I can't go back to my own life anymore. If I try to do it, I'll be miserable. So today, if you're miserable, maybe one of the reasons is you're acting against your nature. You're living against your nature. If you're living in a lifestyle of sin, however, and you have nothing in you that says this is making me miserable, watch out. You may not be a child of God. But today is the day of salvation, and the Father's arms are open wide to receive you. Children of the devil, children of the devil, they act in lawless ways. They practice sin, because the devil's main characteristic is sin. The devil's main characteristic is sin. Verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Whoever translated that, congratulations. Nice little, nice little um, rhyming right there. Sinning from the beginning. I like that. Before that, it says, do not be deceived. Righteous people act righteous. Sinful people act sinners sin. You know, so there, there's a part of us, we don't want to be, we don't want to come across as judgmental. And that's good. We shouldn't come across as judgmental. But if there has been a change in our spirit, we should be able to see that in your life and in my life. We should grow in righteousness because righteous is as righteous does. And if a person lives in sin, loving sin, allies with their sin, they are living in the way the devil has. The devil sins. He loves sin. John says that he's been sinning from the beginning. His children walk in their father's ways. They put on a mask and they play the part, but in their heart, they are not at war with their sin. They're allies with their sin. Finally, children of the devil do not love. Verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Children of the devil um, act like their father. From the Bible, what does the devil do? From the beginning, he lies. He is the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. John 8, 44. In Revelation 12, 10, he is the accuser. Jesus calls him a murderer from the beginning. Jesus also says, to hate your brother is to be guilty of murder. And John will echo this as we read further on in chapter 3. Children of the devil act like their father. And there, there's one thing that Satan does not do, is he does not love those who are in the body and church of Jesus Christ. In Glenn Baker's commentary on 1 John, he makes a statement time and time again, and I think it's such a great statement, that this letter goes out to the churches, and the people John's referencing as children of the devil, who do not love, who do not follow God's commands, who are who are sinning but say they're without sin, if they read this letter, they probably would deny it. No, I love, I do all of these things. So this is contradicting them. It's warring against their thoughts because hate is often disguised as many different things. Wolves in sheep's clothing try their best not to be discovered. John sees through the mask. It's like the moment in a Scooby-Doo cartoon, the old ones, not the new ones. I don't know what they do with the new ones. In the old ones, remember, like the whole time as a kid, you're like, I bet it's old Mr. Murphy, or no, it's, it's the secretary. And all of a sudden, let's see who this really is. They take off the mask, and it's, it's the guy who owned the amusement park. John wants this mask to be removed. The people who are reading this who are truly, who are truly children of God, they are told, don't let anyone deceive you. Behind the supposed loving concern is hate. 
Such hate reveals itself in the false teaching. If what they teach is to be believed and followed, it would result not in, not in joy, salvation, and restoration, but destruction of those who believe it. Righteousness and love. How do, how do we know who the children of God and who the ch- children of the devil are? We are told, whoever does, whoever, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. I think one of the devil's schemes today is this, is try to separate those two. Righteousness and love. Like, you can't have both. Like, so if you're to stand on righteousness, if you're to preach righteousness, then people will take that as unloving, and you'll be called unloving. In fact, many people who call themselves Christians, when they hear somebody preaching righteousness, they will say, that's so unloving, even if they're just reading literally from the Scripture. Or from the other point of view, we're like, okay, I I need to be about righteousness so I can't have a loving attitude about it either. So a person's just hellfire and brimstone. In fact, this this was epitomized in the Westboro Baptist Church. You know why they would go out and they would, they would picket funerals of service members? It was not to call people to repentance, but was so that people would have a greater knowledge of God so they would burn in hell hotter. That's a person who thinks, well, I can only do righteousness, I can't have love. Or we think, okay, if I'm loving, I can't be about righteousness. That's the great lie. Because righteousness's ultimate expression is love. And love's ultimate expression is righteousness. And the greatest point of this argument is found in Jesus Christ and on his cross when righteousness and love kissed for our salvation. Righteousness does not exist without love and love does not exist without righteousness. Trying to sacrifice one will get you neither. Worship team, would you come up at this time? I said last week to prepare you, and this week too, this is a difficult teaching. You know why? Because oftentimes we want to make the black and white shades of gray, even if God tells us directly. Well, what about this? Or a person's right here. We're told very clearly, right? A person who's a child of God grows in righteousness. They have a new nature. A child of the devil, they don't have a new nature. They may masquerade for a while, but ultimately it is this way. What I want to tell you today, I am preaching to you as though I am assuming that you are a child of God. If you are not, today is the day of salvation. Let's pray together. Let's call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. I'm assuming you are a child of God. And the reason why I preach this to you today, I don't skip this portion, is that if you are living contrary to that nature, you will be miserable. And you are, if you are miserable, it may be because of that reason. This last song, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Maybe there's an area of your life and you told God, no go, not here, not this section. That is making you miserable and it's keeping you from the joy that God has for you. Little children, let no one deceive you. Would you please stand as we finish this final song?